Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CXCast. This is Sam Stern, joined in the studio by our researcher Dylan Zarnicki and analyst Maxie Schmidt. Hi, Dylan. Hi, Maxie. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. We want to talk about return on investment, ROI. And listeners, don't switch off just yet. We'll make this interesting, I promise. What types of business benefits can improving customer experience bring? What we talk about most often is when we talk about the business benefits, it's increased customer loyalty and the revenue that brings in. That's our biggest one, customer loyalty. We mean retention, enrichment, also cross and upsell, and recommendation. If you improve those three levers, how much additional revenue would that bring for your business? Another one, depending on the industry, could also bring in huge benefits is reduced cost to serve, reduction of call times, number of calls to the call center, but there's plenty of others. Okay, so on the first one, the loyalty piece, I have a better experience with you as a brand or as a company I do business with, then I'm more likely to remain a customer. I'm more likely to expand my relationship with you. And I'm more likely to tell people who ask or who I, you know, am talking their ear off. If you have this issue or this problem or this thing you want, this is the company for you. And then cost to serve. If I don't have problems because the experience is good, I don't call you. I don't demand refunds or credits or any of that stuff. And that helps on the bottom line. So bottom line and top line benefits. So Sam, when we did the webinar on why CX transformation is both urgent and important, we actually asked the listeners which metrics they use to make the business case. And cost came up a lot because that is quite easy to do and its benefit is very near term. But cost, I would call it that that's actually something that has been very successful in many cases. I think that's an interesting point with a business case, right, that the reduction in cost can show up pretty quickly. If you stop pissing people off, you can almost immediately <laughs> expect a reduction in calls. Right? Exactly. And it's less rose-tinted glasses projecting a big growth, but it's just, hey, we're going to get rid of some of those costs. So usually executives have an easier time to wrap their head around that. Okay. So we've talked about top line and bottom line business benefits from improving customer experience. And we know, as you were referencing, Maxi, that clients are interested in this, are looking into it, or tracking it. But... That's still a long way from knowing what the benefits might be and having a clear model that shows the relationship between improving customer experience and um, realizing these business benefits. So how do you make that ROI model? A lot of CX pros know the benefits. The hard thing is putting the numbers to it. Yeah. So it, it puts it on equal footing with other business initiatives. This is just ignorance on my part, I'll admit that. But honestly, I'm wondering, is it common for other types of projects, initiatives to go through a rigorous business case ROI modeling process? In a company, the way that you prioritize projects and the way that you get funding is typically through those ROI models. And it's not rocket science to put it together, but it is quite a process. Dylan went through that process for an example in that report, actually. So that's very interesting. Dylan, maybe you can talk more about that example from the report. To do that in the report, we go through a hypothetical example of how one company, Acme Bank, we call them, how they created a model for their three-year enterprise-wide CX transformation. And keep in mind, the cost here is not the cost to serve that we mentioned earlier, but it is the benefit and the investment. And the benefit can be an upside in revenue or it can be reduced costs. Acme Bank CEO Wiley E. Coyote Can you walk us through their ROI model? Before creating the actual model, there is some groundwork or some homework that Acme did and other companies should do as well. And that is identify those most important customers, the opportunities to solve their problems, and a roadmap of the potential solutions. When do investments need to be made? What are the projects that will address those problems? I'm glad you mentioned that because it's not like, hey, improve CX by 10%, revenues go up by 12%. It's like, what specifically would cause them to be happier? What do they actually value and care about? And what might they pay more money for if you mm-hmm. put that in front of them 
once they are happier. Also the big difference, we see a lot of companies having this, hey, one point of NPS yes. or CX index is worth X. And that's great to get buy-in, but an ROI model is much, much more bottom-up. You define an, in an initiative based on what you know is wrong with the customer experience, and you then say what the benefits of that initiative are and what the investment mm -hmm. is. Identifying the benefits is going to vary from industry to industry. That's yeah. one of the first steps is retention, something that matters for your company. Maybe you have a monopoly and customers can't actually go anywhere else. Or perhaps, like Maxi said earlier, cost is actually a big button issue and is what you need to concentrate on. Okay, good. So you've done your research, you, you figured out sort of, you know, what your situation is, where your opportunities lie from both in terms of where you could improve and then where you could value from improving the customer experience, right, to mm -hmm. benefit from it, either reducing costs or expanding the relationship or getting more referrals, whatever it is. So then from there, what do you do? So to create the actual business case, to create the ROI model, three big steps. Identify the KPIs for that selected customer segment, the most important customers, whoever you're concentrating on. That's one. Two, gather the data that you need to mm -hmm. inform the model inputs. One of the hardest part is creating these model inputs, and that's characteristics about the customers. How big are they? How much money are they spending? What's the average revenue that they bring in? Do they have a propensity to recommend? Things like that. And third is to actually make those projections and calculate the ROI. Making those projections, what we did in the Acme case, there's a delayed onset of benefits. So when you roll out a project or initiative, you're not going to next day see the right. benefits rolling. It depends on how long it takes to get that up and running. It depends on when customers notice it. So for example, we say that Acme Bank launched a new mobile app in the second year of their transformation. Yep. But the benefits of that mobile app, which include more self-service options and meant there's going to be lower calls to the call center. Those benefits didn't happen until year three. You mentioned that you come up with sort of a forecast or, you know, a, you know an expectation. The model spits out a number, right? Hey, 300% ROI. How do you talk about that? Because that number will be some sort of an exact number, but I would imagine you want to represent it as a range of outcomes, right? Or surface your assumptions about what led to that number. How do you recommend to clients that they talk about the uncertainty or sort of the possible range of outcomes inherent in this kind of modeling. Sam, I think what we're just speaking to is really important when we think back to the equal footing with other projects, yeah. because other projects in, in an organization, they don't do anything else. They typically go ahead and create a best case scenario, a worst case scenario. Uh -huh. They might say, you know what, of what we predict to be true, only so and so much might come true. We can call this risk adjustment, for example, which is something that we did for Acme Bank. And that's one way that we go about it. But the other way is also that it's typically a question of how much you want to invest. So you can think about it as a big investment, big benefit, small investment, small benefit, and you can create a business case that ranges from small to big so that you can present uh, several options. That's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. But the idea that, you know, hey, you know, the best case here maybe is to invest a million dollars, but that's an easy thing to forecast. And it's another thing to sort of green light that kind of cash. Maybe it's, you know, we can only make a six figure investment at Acme mid-sized bank with lots of competition. So what is a reasonable ROI model? What is a reasonable allocation, right, for different projects and, and different returns in that scenario? So one hurdle is being honest about those uncertainties without completely making it sound like, you know, there's all this risk and uncertainty and there's no number to hold on to. What are some of the other hurdles that uh, CX pros face in the ROI and business case uh, game? I think a big one is you're not trying to create the perfect model. You don't have to be right. What you are trying to do is make projections that a reasonable person can't say are wrong. 
when you're making forecasts or projections, they're not going to be 100% accurate. There's plenty of other factors that will influence what kind of benefits you see over the long term. But you want to make sure that they're reasonably accurate. Yeah, so the the challenge for CX professionals is often to find the people to talk to that they can get to those projections because ideally you'd work with them. You know, what kind yeah. of retention rate have we seen over the last six years, you ask your CFO, and then they can tell you what that is. And then you can say, okay, what would be a reasonable assumption on how this can increase? Or what if somebody has gone through a project that's similar to what you're trying to do, what effects on customer experience, customer retention have we seen? And that's true for any ROI model, not just CX. Yeah. They're not all held to a perfect standard. Right. I like that example with the CFO too, because one, you don't know what, what the right assumption is for increase in retention, and probably a percentage point in either direction is a, a profound difference in ROI. But two, by merely having that conversation with them and using their number, you know, being able to attribute it to them to some degree, you're getting their blessing, their buy-in, right? Their sponsorship, even if it's implied rather than explicit for your model. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly the point. Yeah. And that ties nicely into something else that, that I think we, we need to mention. You can create a lot of different ROI models. And just because something has a big ROI doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. So when you, when you think about your ROI model, you also need to think about what are those executive hot buttons? What's the strategy that your company is following right now? What are the things that, that will really drive differentiation, for example? And by figuring out those hot buttons and then creating an ROI model around those hot buttons... You're going to help make a strategically sound decision, which is much, much more important than presenting an ROI number. Is, is it 300%, 200%? That, that's not really the point um, if it's not uh, in the context of the strategy that's coming. Also, and then this is the other thing that I think is really important, we've seen this, especially in the last 18 months, that if people are convinced something isn't true or isn't important, no evidence will convince them otherwise because they just believe very strongly in what right. they believe in. right. So by tying the ROI to something that the executives already believe is important, you're much less likely to get somebody questioning your assumptions. Conversely, if you present an ROI model and people keep asking you to go back and do more analyses and just, you know, make those assumptions just a little bit more solid, then you know that you can already stop doing this because there's somebody who either doesn't want to make a decision or they just don't believe in this model. And then you haven't done the groundwork of figuring out what is it that keeps them up at night and how can you tie the ROI of CX to that? So the ROI of convincing a uh, executive who doesn't agree with you to use your ROI model is zero. Probably negative, yeah. Yeah, probably negative, right, because your time is an investment that you're getting no return on. Good point. Any other thoughts for our listeners uh, about how to model the ROI of customer experience transformation? One of the things that clients have struggled with most How do you figure out what those projections are? Part of it is looking at historical data. When we did this mobile app X amount of years ago, what was the increase customer satisfaction or retention? The way we get a lot of the information at Forrester is through our CX index survey. We ask questions about perception and behavior intention. There's also talking to other parts of the organization to figure out some of those customer characteristics. In the future, there's going to be a report coming out about how to nail those ROI assumptions, which is one of the more difficult parts. Yeah, I can imagine that. And I can picture how being off by just a little bit, again, we were sort of talking about this, with an assumption can have a profound impact on the accuracy 
of your ROI model. And even if you're representing it as directional and not a perfect model, uh, which you should be, that could still undermine your future conversations when they say, well, you said it would be a 5% lift and it was a 3% lift. And now we're looking at, you know, barely any positive ROI here. Right. You want those based on evidence. And not backing into what number do I need it to be so that we have a positive ROI. Right. Right? <laughs> exactly. But I mean, to, to that point, the the report, uh, the ROI of CX transformation has super, super, super step-by-step and you can see you can see the Excel that's that's analyzing yep. that report. So it's, it's a really good report. Look at that in much more mm-hmm. detail than you would usually look at a report because it does give you all the things that you need to do to create an RI model for yeah. CX transformation. That's a good point. Download that Excel file exactly. at the top of the report. Yes, the uh, ROI of careful reading of this report is higher than your typical uh, Forrester <laughs> customer experience research report for close reading. So, uh, listeners, thank you for joining us again this week. The report that is out now that we're referencing is called The ROI of CX Transformation, co-authored by Dylan and Maxi. Thank you both for joining us this week. We appreciate it. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. Thank you.